Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, whenever you are. I'm John. This is the American Christian Podcast and Video. Um, so today, we're actually going to talk about the Council of Nicaea, the history around it, what were the events leading to it, and uh, what happened after that. Um, so I'm going to now play the intro music. I actually made a new one, so I didn't want you guys to be confused. And so I thought I would start by telling you, yep, you have the right podcast. All right, so I hope you enjoy this, and then we will get to it. Alright, so the first thing that you need to know is prior to the Council of Nicaea, we're talking 3rd century, I believe, um, there was a spark in something called Sabellianism. I believe it's the 3rd century, maybe it goes back to the 2nd century, I'm not actually positive right offhand, but it's Sabellianism. So that's going to be a term that you will want to know when you're dealing with this, because this is where a lot of issue strikes up with this too. Um, so Sabellianism was the idea that God, the Father, would take the form of Jesus Christ through the Incarnation, essentially. Um, so, so really, it would be about the equivalent just about of modern-day modalism. Uh, oneness Pentecostals would believe around the same thing. Um, so that's going to be important later. I just wanted to throw that in. So where... This basically starts. It starts in Alexandria, a guy named Arius. Um, so he believed that the Father was God, clearly, but he believed that Jesus was not God. He believed Jesus was actually a created being. He believed that he was uh, one of the greatest, or the greatest creation, my bad, the greatest creation of God, and that everything else was made through him, through Jesus, that means. Um, so then there's another aspect that you'll want to know, and that's Origenism. So we, I explained last week a guy named Origen. He was one of the early church fathers. And he kind of led the fight against Sabellianism. Maybe led the fight is not the right term. But he was one of the big pictures or big persons in the fight against Sabellianism, and he helped to express, he, he helped us with some of the language to express the separate persons of God. But Origen did have one flaw in his theology. He believed that Jesus, um, though he was not a created being, he was inferior to the Father. So he was, by nature, eternal, eternally begotten by the Father. So he's where we get the idea of the eternal generations. Well, of course, we get it from Scripture, but he's the one that laid out the language and uh, helped express that a little bit better. But in this, he came to the conclusion that that meant Jesus was, to some extent, inferior. 
and that led to what the majority of the Eastern Church at the time called Originism, and that would be so that would be what most of them believed in the East. Um, Arius, however, denied completely that Jesus had deity at all. He believed Jesus was a created being. That would really look like what we have with Jehovah's Witnesses today. They don't believe Jesus was God. They don't believe he actually had deity in and of himself. They believe he was a created being, um, a very, very highly glorified being. Turn that down before it starts going. They believe that he was a glorified being. He was, uh, everything was created through him. So essentially, it's a Sabellianist theology with some minor differences. Um, so Arius was from Alexandria, and he started teaching this idea. Um, and the reason why he started teaching this idea is he thought that the idea stemmed he thought that the idea of Jesus actually having deity in and of himself would lead to uh, the idea that there were two gods. He didn't really seem to grasp how there would be two persons divinely who are the same one divine being, but yet separate in nature. And so in order to escape the heresy of Sabellianism, he went to what we now would call Arianism or um, the idea that Jesus just wasn't God. However, his bishop, the bishop in his town in Alexandria did not agree. His name was Alexander. Um, so he did not agree with Arius that Jesus was created being. He also did not agree with Origen that uh, Jesus was to some extent inferior. So what this leads up to is this goes throughout the East. And I think it made it to parts of the West, but this became a big controversy of trying to figure out who Jesus was. Is he deity? Is he not? So essentially what this leads to is Emperor Constantine, who was the first um, emperor to actually convert to Christianity. So he's the first emperor who actually bore the name of Christ. Um, he felt that his, it was his responsibility to restore unity in the church because of his status, because he was the emperor. And uh, I guess that meant he just thought that he had to play the role. Anyhow, so what he does is he calls about 300 bishops and then a ton of presbyters and deacons and calls them to what's known as the first ecumenical council, the Council of Nicaea. Ecumenical council would simply mean uh, so it would be a gathering where the entirety of the church is being represented and they're meant to deal with doctrinal disputes. They're meant to actually set out, okay, this is what the Orthodox belief is. So they come together and this is what they come out with. They basically reject Arianism as a whole and, um, being this is under Emperor Constantine, the originists kind of feel a little pushed towards it. They accept this creed, which would be the Creed of Nicaea 325, and they accept it, but of course afterwards 
there's some questioning about it afterwards. But so this is this is the creed that is formulated at 325. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, creator of all things, visible and invisible, the one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, only begotten, that is, from the essence of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, who who for us human beings and for our salvation came down and was incarnate, and it was made man, yeah, and it was made man, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is coming again to judge the living and the dead, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. So this would be what the first, we'll call it the first revision of the Council of Nicaea, what the creed actually came to. That was the first revision. So you would think at this point that this would kind of settle disputes, Arianism would be rejected from this point, and this would be the standard Orthodox belief. But actually there came to be even more division. So what happened here is the originists and what would be now known as the Nicene party had kind of disputes. So now we have essentially what we have is we have three parties going on. We have the Arian party, which would be those who agree with Arius that Jesus was a created being. We have the Nicene party, which would be those uh, who believe that the son is equal to or equal with the father by nature and but yet two separate persons and then the originist party which would be the bigger portion of the eastern bishops still who accept the theology of origin they believe that the son wasn't created so they reject that portion of arianism he's not created um he was uncreated he was divine of himself but they also held that in his nature he was inferior to the father so, this is kind of where it comes from. And the Originist Party came to have issues with the creed that was put out from the Council of Nicaea. And it was based, for the most part, off of the one term. And that was homoousia. Homoousias. My bad, let me figure out how to pronounce it. Um, which essentially means of the same essence. So when... We go up into the creed, we see it, it says that Jesus Christ is only begotten, that is, from the same essence of the Father. That's the term that's being used here. Now, the issue that they had with this is this is the same phrase that the Sabellianists were using not long ago, before that was deemed heresy. Um, so they really had issues with this word. They believed that essentially what Nicaea or what the Council of Nicaea would lead to, was Sabellianism. And it actually does turn out that some of the people who did accept the Nicene Creed did actually turn out to be Sabellianists. So, in one sense, I guess you could say it's a good call. In another sense, it was kind of picky. It just depends on how you look at it. So, that's where the separation came into being.
was basically over modalism. This was the same word that the Sabellianists used, so the Origenists wanted to reject it. Um, so now, at this point, in 328, and of course I'm simplifying a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I'm not going over. Um, if you want a good, thorough um, source to explain all of this to you, Nick Needham's uh, 2,000 Years of Church History, or of Christ's Power, it's a book on church history. It's actually four books. The first book does actually deal with this controversy, and it deals with it very well. I would recommend it. But anyway, in 320 AD, there was a new bishop in Alexandria. So, uh, let's see. So Alexander dies, and now Athanasius it becomes the new bishop. So Athanasius was bishop from 328 until his death in 373. Um, so he was bishop of Alexandria for about 45 years. Um, he was actually at the first council of Nicaea and surprisingly didn't die a martyr's death. Um, to me, this is actually, it sticks out fairly well because when you deal with Athanasius, what I think is really respectable about him or even honorable is that he suffered quite a bit of persecution for uh, accepting the, the deity of Christ and for basically championing Trinitarian theology as we would know it today. Um, and it's really interesting to think, because, I mean, you know, we know the names of a lot of the martyrs that went down and they make it to, like, really big fame, so to speak, in the church. Um, Justin Martyr, people like, you know, we, we know these stories, and it's accepted fairly well. We look at these people as, you know, these are, like, really good Christian people. They went to their death for Christ. And the thing about Athanasius is, though he probably almost died when they tried to arrest him, but the persecutions that he suffered, he was exiled five times from his land and uh, all for the sake of it, you know, it kind of gives you the idea. It's easy enough to die for the faith. It really is. Um, now, I mean, a lot of people aren't going to go to that state and that is an honorable state to some extent um, as it stands, but to actually take that kind of persecution, not knowing that you're not about to die, there's a lot of honor, there's a lot of respect in that, I would even say. But uh, anyway, so Athanasius, he championed Trinitarian theology around this time, too. He wrote a lot of works against the Arianists. Um, he separated himself from the idea of Sabellianism, and... So basically, he championed the idea that not only Jesus was of himself deity, but also of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit was deity as well, and uh, that they were all equal in nature, but yet separate persons. So he actually does discuss this in pretty detail. I don't agree with every aspect of his theology, but 
that is one area that he got very correct. And uh, so eventually, so what he starts doing is he starts calling for the Originists and the Nicaeans to resolve their issues and basically to hammer out all the details and figure out what's going on. And this eventually does happen. Um, so under the Cappadocian Fathers, there becomes agreement between the two parties, and they essentially, I wouldn't say reject the other word, because the other word still is used in the newer uh, revision of the council, but essentially they make the agreement that on two specific words. So both parties accept these two words, that would be usia, which would be one being or nature, and hypostasis, which would point to two separate persons. Um, so they come to that conclusion, and they're pretty close to agreement at this point. Of course, the originists still believe in inferiority of Christ, but the idea that Athanasius was putting forth is that if they came together and they could uh, provide a front against Arianism because it was very much accepted by both sides that this was heresy. That was very much against what the scripture was actually teaching. It was against what the divine scriptures uh, stated of Jesus. So in a way to try and eliminate Arianism, they provide this front. They come to this conclusion that basically the issue was over the language. And uh, I think that there's even something to say there where we can, there's a lot of issues when you're dealing with the church fathers, where essentially both sides are saying the same thing, but they're saying it in a different way. So where if they would have gotten together and actually like hammered out and figured out what it is each other was saying, it would have saved a lot of trouble, but that's not what happens. So, but here, it does happen. So, um, basically, conflict continues after the First Council of Nicaea in 325. It continues for like another 50 years, just about. Um, so, now at this point, the Originists and the Nicaeans are, like, together. They're unified against Arianism. They have this statement. They understand. They have this uh, formula presented on how they're saying things. and they're okay with it. But now there's another question that's being come and it's it was bound to happen. You start questioning the deity of Jesus and you have all these questions. Well, now someone's going to rise up and someone's going to say something about the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens. So now the question is about the deity of the Holy Spirit. And uh this is championed by let me find where I am in my notes. <laughs> so this was led by a guy named Macedonius. And uh, so the sect came to be known as the Macedonians, and some even called them the uh, fighters against the spirit. And now, with the Macedonians, they accepted Jesus was um, of himself deity. They accepted, yep, Jesus is God in the flesh, um, but they didn't 
of the Holy Spirit. So we even have people who held to the Nicene party and people who held to the originist party who go to this aspect. So now the question is about the deity of the Holy Spirit as well. Um, but so this basically leads to the Nicene party and the originist party to come to agreement. They come to agreement on the deity of the Holy Spirit and they then coined the term of hypostasis as three persons, and then usia as the one nature or being. So this is how we come to this language. This is how we've uh, actually gotten our language. So now at this point, they are in agreement on three persons who are all God, three separate and distinct persons, but the one nature or being of God. Um, this also leads to the originists rejecting that Jesus was inferior to the Father, because now you have the multiple persons, and there's really not a need for it. So, essentially, I mean, that's really dumbing down what it is. There's more details again. So this isn't meant to be like an exhaustive part of, you know, an exhaustive story of what's going on, but this is essentially what happens. After this portion, they reject, the originists reject that Jesus is inferior to the Father, and it uh, basically leads to the full rejection of Arianism and also Sabellianism. So... Um, after the death of the final emperor, uh, Valens, there's a new emperor, Theodosius, Theodosius, yeah, Theodosius, and he introduces a new edict in 380, basically recognizing that the Nicaeans are the only true church. So basically, in the Roman world, Arianism is now abolished. It's basically knocked right out of the park. Uh, and then in 381, the emperor calls another ecumenical council to revise and reaffirm the original council. <coughs> and this would be what we now hold to as the Council of Nicaea. And it goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of the heaven and earth, and all that is in it seen all that is seen and unseen we believe in one lord jesus christ the only son of god eternally begotten of the father god from god light from light true god from true god begotten not made of one being with the father through him all things were made for us and for our salvation he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sakes, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again and in, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdoms will have his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, 
who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He was spoken through, he's, he has spoken through the prophets, my bad. Yeah, he has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism from the for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And uh, as I said last week, when it talks about the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, it's talking about Catholic means the unified church, not Roman Catholic, as we would see it today. But uh, again, sorry for my reading skills. My reading skills are... I can read well, but I switch some letters around, and it can sometimes just mess with the flow of my speech. Anyway, so this creed is then put forth, and it clearly... Uh, professes the deity of Jesus, and now it's also revised, and it professes the deity of the Holy Spirit. Um, it says, let me find here. Yep, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life or the giver of life. So clearly, by saying the giver of life, that points to deity, and the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son, with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. Okay, so if he's worshipped, if he's glorified, that clearly answers that question. Again, these councils aren't meant to be taken as though they were scripture. It's not. But as a point to doctrine in the early church. So, yeah, anyhow, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, let's end this story off really interesting. Arius does eventually die. He dies... Um, well, clearly, all people eventually die. So Arius dies. Um, I believe it's. I believe Valens is still the emperor, if I'm not mistaken. Is still the emperor, and he. So the emperor was an Arius. Was he was an Arian, um, and that's where some persecution came from. There were different emperors and whatnot that were did actually take the position of. Arian, and then they would persecute the Nicaeans, and this is where a lot of the times Athanasius is then exiled out of his uh, town, and uh, some sometimes it one of the times it was for political reasons, but that's again so Athanasius uh, is exiled five different times, and one of them is because of Valens. Um, I believe that's even the one where they actually go to arrest him afterwards. So he was about to face what would have pro it would have probably turned into martyrdom for him, but he actually escaped and uh, he escaped down to Egypt. And yeah, so from there he actually led his church back in Alexandria. And then, yeah, anyway, not the point that I was bringing up. So Arius, at this time, I believe it's at this time. Uh, Valens basically says to the Nicene church, you will let Arius come in and take communion with you. Basically saying, you're going to accept Arius. You're going to accept the theology that he presents, and you're not going to stand against him. And so he's on his way to the church to go for communion, and he winds up basically crapping out his intestines. So, yeah. 
hopefully that's a good ending to the story. So hopefully this blessed you. And yeah, like, share on Facebook. Um, leave me comments. Let me know what you think. And yeah, hopefully you have a blessed day.